The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Is your organization a talent magnet? Is your culture the envy of the business market? Top organizations need top leaders. Make sure that you are that leader. This show will ensure that you are. Welcome to I Lead the Leadership Connection with Dr. Linda Sharkey. Leaders today are more than just results. They are about creating legacies of great people, driving winning organizations, and raising the bar for themselves and that of their teams. Now, here is your host, Dr. Linda Sharkey. Hi, thank you for joining me again. It's so nice to have you here. And, uh, you know, I'm doing this series called The New World of Work. And the reason I'm doing that is because I do believe, like, well, history has told us that every turn of the century, something new really drives a whole different approach to the workplace. You know, at the turn of one century, we had uh, moving from the, the... the 19th to the 20th century, we had moving from an agrarian society to an industrial society. And then we, you know, we did move into a uh, knowledge worker society towards the end of the 20th century. And now, uh, you know, technology has been with us. But what's really happening is we are moving much more into digital, robotic, scientific uh, approach to work with massive I would say seismic changes going on, not only in the world, but in the workplace. And I was just listening this morning as, as uh, you know, unfortunately, there has been another uh, mass shooting in the United States, which um, saddens everyone for a whole variety of reasons. And it appears as though it may be, again, uh, a terrorist attack, whether it is or it isn't, you know, I'm not really sure. But the interesting, the sad part of this is that you know, even the tactics that we thought used to work, even in 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 war, are no longer sufficient. So we have to do incredible amount of rethinking about how we approach life, how we approach each other, how we approach work, how we create environments where people can really succeed, where we have such massive seismic changes. The demographic changes alone going on in the world are uh, incredible. 20 years ago, you could go to countries and things would be relatively homogeneous. Not anymore. And countries that used to be homogeneous, not anymore. And that experience of having to flex to different ways of doing things, to different perspectives, can be very difficult um, and very difficult in the workplace. So... I've been talking a lot around the world about the 12 tenets of the new world of work, um, one of which is this changing demographics. But I've also been running into terrific people who have been thinking and talking about all of this as well. And one of my specific concepts is that, uh, and facts, 
in reality is that many of the practices and processes that we used in the past just simply are not going to work going forward. It's like having a cell phone with, um, without a SIM card. And we really need at this point to be rethinking a lot of the ways that we're doing things. You know, I, I ran into another gentleman just recently who said some of the practices we had, and I, and I agree with this, in the workplace previously, really were not rooted in any science. They were just assumptions that people believe this is how people get motivated, this is how people get engaged, this is the right kind of leadership style, command and control, etc. And we're finding that those myths are just simply not true. And those practices are really more myths than realities. So today I invited on the show two really, two great female entrepreneurs. I love the fact that they're female and I love the fact that they're entrepreneurs. And I love the fact that they're forward-thinking women trying to and, and coming up with new ways to address this new world of work. So I have with me today uh, Cy Wakeman, who is an extremely interesting individual. She has her own consulting practice. She's well-respected, a national keynote speaker, workshop facilitator, uh, has written several books. She has over 18 years of working in consulting and manufacturing experience in a wide range of industries, banking, government, high-tech, and healthcare. She's also an expert blogger for Fast Company, which I just love Fast Company. And I also have with me Caroline Stocktail. And Caroline and I have a history that goes way back. Uh, you'll find if you listen to the show regularly that I have a lot of my friends from uh, former GE, and she and I used to work together there. And I was always impressed with Caroline and her ability to engage with very senior leaders and, ch- and drive change and really make a difference. Caroline's worked with some iconic uh, CEOs, Bill George, uh, the author of True North from Medtronic. She supported him. She worked with Accretive Healthcare. She's not just an HR person, nor is Cy. They're really business people and business entrepreneurs. So welcome, both of you, to the show. I'm so excited to have you. And before you jump in, I have to tell you this is technology at its best because um, Caroline is in Texas, Cy is in Cabo, and I'm in North Carolina, and our executive producer is in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. So there it goes, doing business on the fly. Absolutely. Well, this is Cy, and uh, thank you for having me um, on the show. It's good to be with my good friend, Caroline, and I've heard great things about you, Linda. Yes, I wish that we could have met personally, Cy, but we'll do that one of these days. So, you know, you've written a couple of books on reality-based leadership, and I've, I've uh, read them and um, really am fascinated about the approach. Maybe we'd share with our, our listeners what exactly reality, reality-based leadership is. Absolutely. You set it up well in just acknowledging that we've been using approaches to leadership for the last 30 to 40 years, and as we measure the effectiveness of those, we find out over and over again they don't work. And so I set out, as I moved into leadership um, and, and developed um, you know, what I would call a revolutionary new approach that really challenges conventional thinking and leadership. I call it reality-based because it's it's acknowledging what reality is and helping others learn to love reality and succeed in reality where most leadership philosophies reinforce the belief that 
when we don't succeed or our success in itself is really dependent on our circumstances, reality-based leaders know that, uh, you know, your circumstances are just the reality in which you need to succeed. And if you're struggling, it's not about your reality. It's about where you need to grow next. And so I started to come up with reality-based leadership that instead of leaders being responsible for the engagement of others or creating great circumstances, the acknowledgement that most of the time reality is just reality and that our job as leaders is to help people succeed anyway. And that involves really growing the people rather than trying to perfect their circumstances. Yeah, that is so important. And I'm, I'm really seeing that that is, you know, we used to say that before. We always talked about steward leadership and, um, uh, you know, servant leadership and all of that. Uh, but now it really is the reality of where you could really have impact is growing your people. That's a great point. So why did you write your book? You know, I started out life as a therapist, never even intended to lead. And as I was um, asked to be a leader and I went through leadership boot camp, I started to hear what we're telling leaders to do. And for instance, you're responsible for the engagement of another. And I was shocked thinking, I have taught people not to be codependent, that happiness is a choice, that we can't motivate others. And it just seemed to fly in the face of so much of what we knew in science and psychology. And so I started leading just according to what I had learned from my science background. We got great results. We had high engagement. We were nationally recognized. And people would invite me and ask me for kind of my tips on leadership. And that's when I realized it was so foreign to what most people were preaching and practicing that uh, I started just to write blogs at Fast Company and, and now Forbes and Huffington Post and Success. And those blogs, um, I would find people printing them off and walking around with them. And uh, so I just followed the simple instructions and decided I'd put them together for folks in a book. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great read. It's a really great read. So tell me, Caroline, how did you and Cy hook up? I'm afraid that's actually pretty boring. Cy and I were talking about that the other day. We decided we ought to actually try and invent some kind of exotic story around this, but it was at a uh, professional conference <laughs> um, several years ago, and um, we just clicked. Uh, and uh, I think somebody described us as twins separated at birth, right, Cy? So um, we sort of connected and... Um, Sai has been a tremendous partner. I actually brought her into a number of the companies that I, I was working at at the time. Sai uh, did a fantastic job at Medtronic uh, bringing in reality-based leadership. She's done the same thing in several of the companies um, that I've been in and, and brought her to help in. Um, and that's, and, and uh, really, people vote with their feet. And what you see is when people... Uh, give their evaluations of Sai, they are uh, extraordinary. And it's because she um, takes this uh, no-nonsense, very direct approach that I think is so relatable for people. Um, you know, it's kind of that duh moment that people have of, you know, this really makes sense and it's something they can internalize. And, and a lot of people will say, look, this doesn't just impact my work life. This impacts my whole life, right? And the way I think about it from regardless to, as to whether I'm in a traffic jam 
um, late for the bus or whether it is a work-related um, incident. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. And tell me, um, so what was the impact, and we're, we're coming up to break uh, very shortly, but what was the impact at Medtronics uh, when you used reality-based leadership? It really helped, helped to reinforce a different approach in the culture. What we were trying to drive was accountability, and reality-based leadership helped us to do that. Um, because a lot of it is around, and this is where Sai and I really connect in terms of unity of concept, around this notion of being highly accountable as an individual. You hold yourself accountable. You own the accountability. And Sai's um, teachings really help to enforce, reinforce that and grow that within the culture, and that was critical. Yeah, and, and actually, Sai, uh, when we come back after break, we're going to talk about this a little bit. You've developed a survey that's a forward-going survey that's uh, data-based that will help predict predictive analytics of people who will be personally accountable in their organizations instead of being victims. Um, exactly. What made you quickly develop that survey? Well, one of the things that I was struck by is that we were surveying all the time for engagement, and that was flawed because we were counting everyone's vote the same, and so we were hearing what people needed from the workplace, whether they were victims or drivers, and I wanted something to differentiate on that wasn't just performance, and so I started to differentiate on our engagement surveys, asking accountability questions that I developed that and researched that then would let us turn down the volume of the low accountables and listen only to the high accountables, and it dramatically changed what we did in order to create better work environments. We're no longer listening to the victims and what I call the BMW driving, the bitching, moaning, and whining. We are listening <laughs> like to people that. who were making a difference. And so it became this key assessment that um, over the years we have learned we can predict the accountability levels of individuals and we can use this assessment to add on to other types of pulse surveys that you're getting information from your organization so that you're not listening to everybody. Um, you're only listening to your highest accountable folks. They have the best pulse um, because they, they're not victims. Yeah, that, that sort of switches things on, on, uh, on to, to turns the table a little bit of what you consider to be uh, top talent. So we're at break. We're talking to Cy Wakeman and Caroline, Caroline Stocktail. Um, we're talking about how you detect and predict for accountability. We're using her reality-based leadership survey. And stay with us. We're going to be back, and we're going to be talking about that in greater detail. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Dr. Linda Sharkey promotes fact-based solutions for global organizations and leaders that are known to drive business success. Do you want to put the wow in your talent practices? How about a spring in your leadership approaches? Coaching and leadership development are proven methods that have done right 
really do make good leaders great. If you want a no-nonsense, practical approach that will enable you to compete anywhere in the world with measurable results, contact Linda today. Visit lindasharkey.com. Again, that's lindasharkey.com. Game-changing technologies and strategies are transformational, exciting, and disruptive for a reason. They shake up your status quo. They get you thinking about new ways to scale, compete, and grow. They move you in amazing new directions. You're invited to take your coffee break with Game Changers on Wednesdays, 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time for our special series on game-changing HR leaders. Learn how you can become the savvy leader who takes your company across the finish line as you look ahead to the next wave of business innovation. Game-Changing HR Leaders, presented by SAP and America's SAP Users Group. Your entrepreneurial vision has taken hold. Your business is growing. It's everything you hoped for. Or is it? With growth comes bigger headaches, more hiring, more capital, more customers to satisfy, more employees to manage, more plates to juggle, and more demands on your time. Get off that merry-go-round now. Tune in to The Business Edge with Marsha Zeidel. You'll meet street-smart entrepreneurs and business leaders sharing their success stories as well as practical solutions to the unique challenges faced by growing companies. Heard every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. tuned in to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. To speak to Dr. Linda Sharkey or her guest, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or you can tweet the show at hashtag ILEADTLC. We'd also love to hear from you by email. The email address is radio at lindasharkey.com. Now, Back to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. Welcome back. We're talking with uh, Caroline Stockdale and Cy Wakeman, uh, both entrepreneurial women who have spent a considerable amount of time in uh, significant roles in corporate America, but now are uh, consulting and doing some really phenomenal forward-thinking work around leadership and leadership development. We were talking about accountability, and you know, so many of my clients ask, "How do I get people to be more accountable for what they what they have to do? How do I get leaders to be accountable and not be victims all the time and blame other people or always have to be right?" And um, so, Caroline, I, I'd like to hear from you. Sai so developed this survey and that's how you guys hooked up is that you you know started doing some work together how how did you use this survey uh in your organization and it did it change your perspective on how you thought about top talent yeah there's a couple of different things i'd say one is um we first started with the overall engagement survey with the accountability questions embedded in it, right? And so what that enabled us to do was to have a different lens, a different cut on the data, where we could segment uh, the population by high, medium, and low accountables. And that helped us to understand um, a number of things. One, um, to size earlier point, to give different weighting to the voice, 
Um, number two, it helped us to target our efforts from a learning and development standpoint to areas of the organization that needed it most. <laughs> and thirdly, to think about specific actions that we needed to take. So, for example, if in our um, areas where we needed to develop business and grow, we had a significant low accountability, we knew we had a problem. Then we took the um, core accountability questions, uh, this is Sinai, and thought about how else we could leverage those um, in, in the company environment. And so, Linda, we use them also, for example, in talent acquisition. So mm-hmm. it, it, think of them as these predictive metrics that help pre-screen for somebody's ability to execute, basically, right? So if somebody is a high accountable, it's a pretty good predictor as to what their execution quotient is going to be. So if you use these simple sort of 14-odd questions as a pre-screen, a skin on any talent acquisition process, they help you to hire to that lens so that you're bringing in the door accountable people at the outset. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really great. So, Sai, uh, tell me, you know, it, it strikes me too, Caroline, that you know how we always used to think of a top talent. You know, they've got the values. You want that too, and they have yeah. the you know the high performance. But you know, this could be another way of segmenting your workforce that could, like you said, really put a different lens on, you know, on the kind of people that you focus on, which is I think pretty it, exciting. It absolutely is. It absolutely is. We look at it very differently. There are two things that, that really matter, Linda. You're, you're absolutely right. One of them for us is how personally accountable is an individual? And, you know, that is a great predictor, forward-looking predictor of how successful they're likely to be in the future, right? And therefore yeah. what value they'll bring to the company. The second yeah. one is our external lenses because, frankly, you know, we can tell ourselves whatever we'd like about a top 25 and a nine box and a this, that, and the other. It doesn't matter, right? All that matters to our customers is are we better than our um, closest competitor, right? Do we yes. bring better value? Do we bring better things? Do we provide them a better service? That's all they care about. And so our comparators need to be external. We, our lens needs to be external and forward-looking. Yep. 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 I think our, our measurement very different because we've measured performance ad you know, nauseum. And what right. we're finding is there's, there's no connection between our competitive lens outward and our success and our performance. And, and so in my second book, Reality-Based Tools of the Workshop, or um, Reality-Based Tools of the Workplace, right. through our research, we came up with a new way to measure, and that's a value, because we're promising value to our stakeholders, so we need to measure employees on value. And right. that's their current performance in a pretty strict bell-shaped curve but also a second component, is their performance sustainable? What's their future potential? Not could they do more or be promoted, but are they learning and growing? Will they still be performing far into the future? Are they staying relevant? Minus their emotional expensiveness, minus their drama factor, their hassle factor. And that's a key component that determines value because one's emotional expensiveness, right, we found in our research it's a three-to-one, meaning your performance has to be three times as great to justify emotional expensiveness, and it's such a drain on the system. It's really your drama quotient, and that's where the assessment came in is that 
we know how to assess the emotional expensiveness of somebody. What's their accountability level? How quickly are they able to align externally to the organization? So foregoing their own preference over potential so that they can give up their personal preference. We can measure how ready they are for what's next, their readiness factor, which is a predictive rather than looking at what goes behind, their level of accountability, and their, their level of being able to succeed in spite of circumstances. And, um, and so it really changes what we're measuring in people. We're measuring the value that they bring to the table not just their performance, but what's the total cost of them? Yeah, I love the point that you're making uh, uh, around the drama because there could be very brilliant people, we've all experienced this, who have a lot of knowledge about what you're trying to do, but they are difficult to deal with or they're dramatic or you're spending more time um, massaging their ego then and and their and their pathos so to speak yeah. than you well, are getting the work out of them exactly say, say and that what again. we know today with the world getting flatter and the new world of work is that performance can be purchased so many ways there's technical expertise right we can rent that we can borrow that we can but that plug-and-play utility player that has their not just their ego in check, but they're great at change, they're highly accountable, they can align quickly to new directions of the organization, they do that without drama is important because we're measuring right now in the organizations we work with, and we're validating this number once again, that the average individual, the average one, spends two hours a day in drama two hours a day in emotional waste, walking around going, this is sick and wrong, this shouldn't be happening. Well, if you look at what we're doing with our lean efforts in the average organization, we're going after the smallest little bit of waste. But if you could go to the CEO and say, I can give you back two hours per day per headcount and take that energy and focus it on results and your engagement will improve because accountability is what drives happiness and engagement, we know from science, not circumstances, you would be a hero. And that's what we're very much focused on is assessing for emotional expensiveness, accountability, um, teaching leaders that their role is not to inspire others, it's to ensure that you have good mental processes that lead to the elimination of emotional waste. It's a scientific role, not an um, inspirational role, and we believe is the future of leadership. And, you know, what I, I think is really interesting here is uh, the point that you make that, you know, we used to measure performance. And performance is such a bias criteria. What's my view of your performance versus someone else's view of your performance? And I, I think that begs a, a huge question as to whether that whole process is really worth anything anymore. And, Carolyn, I know you have a lot of perspective on that. You you want to share your thinking yep. and how this may play into, uh, you know, that whole notion of performance management? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's, it's one of the kind of sacred cows. And, you know, while we're on the thinking of the animal analogies, dinosaurs that exist in the HR house, right? Um, performance, the traditional performance review process uh, should have been killed many years ago. Um, let me just give you a couple of data-driven examples of why, Linda. I mean, there are numerous examples of the subjectivity that you've pointed out. But if a performance conversation with an employee goes poorly, it can negatively impact their performance by up to 30% for an entire year. If you did a 
blowout job with the conversation. It went great. The uplift in performance maximum might be up to 5%. If that was the ROI on a deal, you wouldn't touch that deal with a 10-foot pole, right? Right. Absolutely. A downside risk on it. And yet we've been doing that with people for eons. It's crazy. Um, You know, imagine if you lost 30% of productivity from an employee for a year. Um, That's what we do on a regular basis through these performance review processes. The piece about subjectivity is huge. Not all teams are created equal. If you are trying to get a product out the door, typically you will put your superstars on that team, right? Then you're going to take these teams and you're going to rate them, okay? But guess what? It's like a, a soccer league, right? The teams at the top of the first division... And the teams in the bottom division are all getting rated now. But the guys in the bottom division couldn't kiss the boots of the guys in the top division. You know, right. all these inequities get into the system and make it meaningless. Cap onto that, the generational pieces and the whole environment in which we live today, and it's redundant. I mean, we have... Um, a whole, generations who've grown up in a stream of instant feedback from teachers, parents, friends, you know, whether it's um, um, texting, gaming, social media sites, you know, um, Snapchatting, but they've lived their whole lives in a, in a landscape that has been incredibly lush with feedback, and then they're going to enter a workforce and find that they're in, well, basically a barren desert. <laughs> and if they get any feedback, feedback they're not going to work. Yeah, they're 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 going to be lucky, and and as you're right, there's absolutely instantaneous feedback, and and they don't look at feedback as criticism. They look at feedback as, you know, give me some ideas. How am I doing? What can I do better? Where, right. as, as a learning opportunity, and that's where our heads right. need to change. That's where our mindset needs to change. We are at break. I'm talking to Cy Wakeman, author of Reality Based Leadership, and Caroline uh, Stocktail, a leading consultant in the area of uh, transformation culture and. Uh, performance and um, stay with us. We're going to be talking more about how do you detect for accountability in a forward-looking way. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Dr. Linda Sharkey promotes fact-based solutions for global organizations and leaders that are known to drive business success. Do you want to put the wow in your talent practices? How about a spring in your leadership approaches? Coaching and leadership development are proven methods that, if done right, really do make good leaders great. If you want a no-nonsense, practical approach that will enable you to compete anywhere in the world with measurable results, contact Linda today. Visit lindasharkey.com. Again, that's lindasharkey.com. Are you ready to be the change you wish to be? Live with passion. On Success Inside, host Aparna will share some of the world's best ideas from today's thought leaders. You'll hear success stories from around the world. Guests include inspiring authors, world leaders, spiritual leaders, and successful entrepreneurs. It's time to live the life of your dreams. Listen for Success Inside, airing live every Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time 
on the Voice America Business Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are tuned in to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. To speak to Dr. Linda Sharkey or her guest, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or you can tweet the show at hashtag ILEADTLC. We'd also love to hear from you by email. The email address is radio at lindasharkey.com. Now, back to ILEAD, the Leadership Connection. Welcome back. I'm Linda Sharkey, your host of I Lead the Leadership Connection, and I have with me uh, Cy Wakeman and Caroline Stockdale, and we're talking about the new world of work and having a fascinating discussion about the difference between engagement and accountability and how much effort and energy we put into performance ratings, rankings, uh, and how much effort we put into really looking at engagement. And during the break, Cy was making a really fabulous comment that, you know, engagement often created this notion, uh, engagement without accountability created this notion of entitlement. And how many places do you go where people say, oh, this is such an entitlement uh, attitude that people have? Well, you know, we kind of created it themselves. So, Sai, tell me your perspective on that. Absolutely. You know, and, and when I go places, when we have over-rotated on engagement, how can we create circumstances that employees, you know, will love? And the whole theory is if I create that is circumstances, somehow my people will engage and then they will, prove, they will do great work. And what we have found is that engagement doesn't drive results. Accountability drives results. And accountability drives engagement. If you look at the science of happiness, whether it's, um, you know, the Harvard studies or Dr. Aker, anybody who's working on that tells you that happiness, i.e. engagement, has very little to do with one's circumstances. It has to do with the amount of accountability one takes for one's circumstances. So as leaders, we've got to focus, yes, on engagement and yes, on accountability. But when we go into the vendor hall at a conference, they sell us engagement because there's surveys and there's all kinds of products you can sell around engagement. Very little you can sell around accountability. So people have over-rotated to engagement, and there's really a flaw in the logic that engagement drives results because we have found that accountability drives results and engagement. And uh, and it's it's just an interesting um, concept. And so now people are over-rotating on accountability with a flawed philosophy because they're like, leaders need to hold people accountable, or we need to build accountability into the system. Well, Accountability and execution Exactly. And here's the, the problem. Like, we have a lot of science around accountability in psychology. It's called locus of control. When you come to seek treatment from me as a therapist, I, one of the tools I could use, it was really well validated, it's, it's wonderful, it came from the 80s, is do you have an internal locus of control or external? External, you tend to be at the victim of your circumstances. Internal, you believe things happen because of you. Well, that's accountability. We can measure this stuff. But holding someone as accountable is the third step. When I studied accountability, I found people who had high locus of control, and I asked them to describe for me accountability. And, and after, you know, I think over 100 and some interviews, there were four 
factors of accountability that came out. Ownership, whose butts on the line was the third one. First of all, people said the first factor in accountability, accountable people are committed. They're willing to do whatever it takes. They willingly buy in, which we've preached for years, only work with the willing. You have to buy in. I can't hold you accountable. The first move is yours. You've got to commit. You've got to buy in. Engagement's a choice. Once you're bought in, I can teach you the next step, which is resiliency. How do you overcome barriers in our culture, in our industry? I can teach you to crowdsource. If I don't know an answer, I can call Caroline and 20 other gurus, and they'll tell me, you know, what I can do. The third is ownership, where I want you to own, um, take ownership of what you did that helped and what you did that hindered. Well, if I'm all in, and I've been resilient, I've called everybody I know, and I have followed through on their suggestions, then I want you to give me feedback. I want you. I'm like, please tell me what I could do differently. I want to learn, which is the fourth factor. Problem with accountability today is we've put the onus on the leader, which is the third factor. They're trying to work with the unwilling. And what I tell people is you can only work with the willing. And that's where our assessment comes in. We ask questions that we took the locus of control for. And let's work. get to that, uh, okay. Cy. Let's, uh, what are some of the questions you do ask? We um, took locus of control work and made them for the workplace and then validated them. So, for instance, um, you know, they're proprietary, but I'm glad to give them um, to you. They're, one of the best questions we ask is um, on a scale of one to six with one disagree, six, you know, absolutely agree. We ask questions like the difference between success and failure is um, commitment. Now, we have validated that um, I love getting suggestions for how to do my job better. My manager should provide me all the information and direction I need to do my job. The main difference between success and failure is luck. My coworker's behavior keeps me from doing my work. So we have these questions that we know because we have validated and now we have great databases. The way you answer these questions says a lot about you. Yeah, I can really see that. If you're if you're saying, you know, I my manager doesn't give me the information I need, uh, my work environment give me all the information, we know you're lower in accountability. Yeah, and so what's what's happening is that somebody's really indicating that, um, uh, you know, somebody's indicating that they've they've got those victim tendencies. That's that's fascinating, actually. It really is. And with teams, then by asking these questions, we can then give you factor reports. Your team is low in commitment, but high in resilience. Perhaps low in ownership, high in continuous learning. Now, here's how I would describe that culture. Um, they aren't all in. They're high in resilience. You have a lot of heroics, a lot of diving catches, but a lot of blaming, low in ownership, and their continuous learning is learning about what other people should do differently. Yeah, so what do you, so you have somebody uh, that is low in uh, commitment. What, what do you do there? So we have, um, that's where our leadership courses are really different. We help people understand first how this works. So if I have somebody low in commitment, I can't buy them in. It's like we're playing poker, and if we're playing poker, I say, Linda, what's your bet? You go, well, I want to see all the cards first. I go, well, that's not how the game's played. But most of our employees that are low in commitment are conditional. I'll be all in if you make sure I have all the information I need and if you make sure I have enough money and if you make sure 
nothing changes. So the only way to get somebody bought in is to ask them, what's your level of willingness? On a scale of 1 to 10, how willing are you? What's your plan to get more willing? How committed are you? And what's your plan to get committed? We basically need to see this as a game changer that we don't, we quit trying to allow people into the inner circle that aren't committed. Yeah, and what do you do if they if they decide? Uh, you know, I mean, it it this is a nuance actually off of a lot of things that we've always been saying over the years, but it's a very interesting one. And so, what do you do, uh, Cy Caroline, when uh, somebody doesn't show commitment? I think you I know, know the answer, or what the answer should be. Yeah, but. I mean, if they don't show commitment, the first thing you do is just in time coaching and feedback. Where even on an airplane, if you get the privilege of sitting in the exit row, you have to show commitment. They say, will you open the door next to you if this plane crashes? And you can't even just shake your head. You have to say yes. And then, you know, you drink too much. You're not proving it. It kick you out of the exit aisle. It's very serious stuff. So when I say to people, first of all, a lot of people change when you teach them that they're all in is the first step. But I ask them, what's your commitment level? What's your plan to get committed? And they say, I'm not going to get committed. I don't like this strategy. I didn't sign up for this. This isn't what I want. With all the love in my heart, I say, then what is your plan to transition into a different company or a different role? Well, I'm not going anywhere. Okay, then what's your plan to get on board? I'm not going to. Then it sounds like you think there's a third option. Like you can stay and hate or stay and resist or yeah. stay and... But you see a lot of people that, that you see that uh, behavior quite frequently in the workplace, or at least I have. And, uh, you know, and companies, and I've seen so many leaders reluctant to deal with it and kind of, uh, you know, allow that person to continue on in the, uh, in the organization. So, uh, you know, it seems like a catch-22 in some ways. It is, except that the way that we teach we um, leaders just-in-time language, you don't have to make the decision for the person. You do not have to decide whether to fire somebody. They choose whether they're going to sign up or sign out. You're just helping with the transition either way. And that's where leaders, their ego gets hooked, and they're like, i got to make this person successful, or I, I, I you know, should make sure they're successful. And it's like, well, you're working, working harder at their success than they are. Right. Capitalism differentiates. If yeah. you have two people selling you life insurance, you're going to buy from a person who is engaged with you that's working hard to get you quotes, not the well, one I'm, who says, work, go look online. I'm going to ask you a question here, though. I mean, I have seen people that have not been engaged, that have, um, you know, not shown the commitment and been allowed to stay in that organization for years. Yeah, that's because we're doing bad math. We're not being scientific. I teach leaders to do good math. I had a physician who would not fire his office manager named Tom. And I, instead of the budget line, salaries and benefits, I took out lack of courage. So any salary and benefits that the physician was just not willing to deal with, I took those out and put them on a separate budget line for him. And yep. he came to me and he said, I want a new office like Dr. Smith has. And he said, oh, my gosh, I want you to get a new office. Let me look and see. I think we have the budget for it. Oh, that's right. You're paying Tom. Dang, we can't get you a new office because you pay Tom 200 grand a year. Now, right. that sounds cold and cramps, but we enable people by allowing them not to do good math. 
well, that nurse is a great performer. She's horrible to deal with. But if you, you know, had a cardiac arrest, you'd want her. And it's like, well, why? Did we run out of good, nice nurses? Like, what? Yeah, right, and then right. What's the, the research says that if they're not a nice nurse to their coworkers, their outcomes are worse. So let's believe the evidence. And, and, and that's where we enable folks um, because we... The way we keep score, the way we deal with performance and measure it, is hiding um, really low value. Yes, but, you know, here's the question for you, Cy. Here is the question for you. And, um, you know, and I want to bring Carolyn back into this conversation, but if the, the person does not voluntarily leave, and you're talking about people that are not voluntarily leaving, you got to take action. In some form or fashion. Right? And sometimes, though, people aren't voluntarily leaving because they don't have good information. Um, most folks, when given good information and some natural, con- when they aren't protected from natural consequences, tend to, um, you know, leave on their own. So we have somebody who's not engaged, and then we give them a raise each year because we don't want to upset them. Well, the same behavior will not please a high accountable and a low accountable at the same time. You will always be upsetting someone. You need to pick which one you want to upset today. And yeah. so it's reframing these decisions for leaders. But another technique I've used, instead of if you don't feel like you can, you know, take action, whatever your reality is, is activate. You don't need 100% of your team on board. You need about 46%. But instead of spending an enormous amount of time on those not engaged Quit allowing them to stop the action. Really focus on the folks that are engaged. Have them break the bell-shaped curve, and then those non-performers stick out even further. Yeah. So we're at break. Um, interesting conversation. Interesting conversation. I still, I, I still will stand by the fact that when you when you see those realities, you may need to take action as a leader and. Um, People will milk the system for as long as they're allowed to stay. Yeah, I will. I've, I've, I've seen it time and time again. Uh, stay with us. We're talking to Cy Wakeman and uh, Caroline Stockdale. We're talking about the new world of work and some of the myths and using real data accountability uh, factors in really looking at your workforce. And Carolyn, when we get back, I want to talk to you. I have a question in uh, that got emailed in about what else are you seeing are the things that are going to have to change in terms of the new world of work so stay with us when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network Dr. Linda Sharkey promotes fact-based solutions for global organizations and leaders that are known to drive business success. Do you want to put the wow in your talent practices? How about a spring in your leadership approaches? Coaching and leadership development are proven methods that, if done right, really do make good leaders great. If you want a no-nonsense, practical approach that will enable you to compete anywhere in the world with measurable results, contact Linda today. Visit lindasharkey.com. Again, that's lindasharkey.com. Effective leadership is what will propel the world, organizations, and businesses through a range of dynamic changes. 
How do you keep up with these changes, build skill, and lead effectively? Listen for Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. Maureen offers tools and engaging guests who are leaders in their field. With each week, you'll work on and improve your skills to lead with confidence and drive your organization's success. Tune in every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. To speak to Dr. Linda Sharkey or her guest, please call in to 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. Or you can tweet the show at hashtag iLeadTLC. We'd also love to hear from you by email. The email address is radio at lindasharkey.com. Now, back to iLead, the leadership connection. Welcome back. We're talking to Cy Wakeman and Caroline Stockdale about the new world of work, having a fascinating discussion about the old paradigms of how we think about engagement and accountability. And I got to tell you, you got to get a copy of Cy's book because the part one is all about find peace at work. And I absolutely love that. And then restore part two is restore sanity to the workplace. I had a question uh, emailed in for you, Caroline, in particular. So, you know, given all the experiences, what are some of the other paradigms that you're rethinking based upon your work? Yeah, there are there are many, Linda. Um, if you think about today's world, it's all about creating value in a variety of different ways, and um, that's happening in. Um, ways in which people had not thought about before, whether you're thinking of crowdsourcing and funding and um, how communities come together to create different um, sources of value and different products of value. It's um, a fascinating world. What that also leads to is thinking differently about organizations, right? So the traditional hierarchical organization, I think, has a very limited shelf life. In the way that we think about how an organization is and the whole um, structure of, you know, command and control type environment is um, a very short in duration. So um, all of that is ripe for change and it is something that we work um, often with organizations on. What are the cultural anchors, drivers, and dynamics that go with that? And then this whole sort of um, forward-looking diagnostic lens on business um, rather than the sort of um, rear-view mirror approach that was previously taken um, in terms of thinking about performance, et cetera, et cetera. And that, that helps both with the pure business diagnostics um, as well as if you think about creating value from people. So really it's every aspect of, of um, what you touch in business. Yeah, and I think that's really where we've got to be creative in terms of how we think about this new world of work. There's there's so many different dynamics, and I, I do think there are, organizations are going to get flatter, and I think, Sai, you said it, um, you know, the world is flat. I think Thomas Friedman wrote that fabulous book, and it's getting flatter every single day. So we're coming towards the end of the show. Um, Sai, last thought, words of wisdom for our listeners. 
you know, I say whether it's in your personal life or your business life, really, at this is the time to question everything you think. The worst thing people can do is believe everything they think, whether that's a story in my head that my ego's made up or if that is conventional wisdom I've heard long ago and never re-questioned. It really is time as leaders to really question what we think, do good math, lend yourself to, you know, really embracing reality, embracing evidence, getting much more scientific in what we do and the value we bring to the table. Yeah, that's, those are great points. And Caroline, parting thoughts for the audience? Yeah, I um, second size thoughts and would say, you know, um, this focus on creating value is a really important one, and, and people often get too wrapped around the axle and worrying about what their title is, um, politicking, and, and all those other things that, that happen. But if you focus on bringing it every day and thinking about creating value every day through what you do, um, that is, I think, um, what is ultimately going to make you successful and happy. And as you do that, doing the right thing no matter what, being brave enough to live your values um, gives you that sense of purpose. Yeah, I, I think values are going to continue to play a much bigger role uh, in, in the workplace going forward. And your point earlier, Sai, about engagement and, and uh, accountability you know, I think values plays a very big piece into that. What what are your values, and are you are are your values aligned with the organizational values? So thank you, um, both Cy Wakeman and Caroline Stockdale. You can get a hold of them. Get Cy's books, uh, Reality Based Leadership, and uh, the Reality Based Rules to Engagement. Fabulous books, and Caroline and um, Cy do lots of workshops around this, and I think that they have developed a really wonderful and forward-looking approach to really breaking some of the old chains that have, have bound us in the past. So thanks, guys, for being on. And, Carolyn, it's just been fabulous running back into you. You bet. Thanks so much, Linda. It's really a pleasure. Yeah, likewise. Great. Thank you. Okay. And upcoming shows, we're going to be continuing on this uh, topic. Uh, we have David Siegel next week, who's in Zurich, Switzerland, doing some phenomenal work on reframing the new organization. What does a new organization look like? How do you build a different culture? Uh, what are some of the things that, that you need to consider as you're building for sustainability and capability going forward? So it's a fascinating discussion. He's out of Silicon Valley, leverages a lot of technology, wrote a fabulous book called Pulse. Um, and then after that, we're having a panel discussion to end the year around what are some of the predictions about work going forward that we all need to be thinking about um, as we embark in 2016. And then we're starting 2016 with a great leader, Rich Sheridan uh, from Menlo, a fabulous uh, Silicon Valley company. And uh, I think you're just going to find uh, our discussion with him fascinating. He wrote the book, Joy. So thanks, everybody, for being with me. I hope you have a wonderful day, evening, and I'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of I Lead, The Leadership Connection. Please join Dr. Linda Sharkey again for another show next Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 
Have a successful week.